Transitioning. My turn to <laughs> talk. Who's this sexy lady on your blanket? Uh, that's Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Upside down. That's she looks like, like, a, like that's like seventeen year old Taylor Swift. Oh my too. god. No, 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 that's, no, when no, she no. Was, that's when she was nineteen. Okay, oh okay. okay. Oh my god, I feel so crazy. No, or I think she might have even been twenty by the time Speak Now came out. Um, my my blanket is a t-shirt quilt. I don't have a Taylor Swift blanket. It's a bunch of my t-shirts, and I put my Taylor Swift Speak Now tour shirt on the t-shirt blanket. <laughs> she doesn't look like herself upside down. Upside down, she looks like a painting of a woman from like the Renaissance. Yeah, <laughs> and she's looking at you with a come hither stare, and she's wearing a dress that's very low cut. No, that's a back shot. The Speak Now yeah. album, it's her back. She's twirling. back to you know what i've been wondering i'm sarah i'm jane and we have a special guest this week introduce yourself hi i'm laurel that was really good (laughs) (laughs) so proud of you so proud of you i don't know why my microphone is like let's pick everything up and make it loud that's what microphones do i know but ours. but this one's like i'm gonna do it the best i can my microphone's a really sensitive lady Mm. yeah she, (laughs) she feels a lot we're happy to have Laurel here with us today. Laurel is going to be taking over Jane's segment in this week's episode of Jane Did Absolutely Nothing. Because <laughs> Laurel did her segment and I did Reddit. So <laughs> so I'm just here to enjoy. Yeah, Jane gets to sit back and relax this week. Um, <laughs> Laurel, how are you doing? Welcome to our show. Ah, I'm good. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Earlier, Jane sang the Zoe 101 opening, and it made me think about the fact that I have this kid who he thinks the Big Time Rush transition song is a meme. And I'm like, <laughs> what? It's the, it's uh, 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 uh. <laughs> He like, he says that because he's referencing a meme from Reddit, but I know that that's the Big Time Rush. <laughs> so we're like, why are you singing Big Time Rush? And he looks at us like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, okay, you think you're being funny, but I know the truth. That's a boy band. That's a lot that Big Time Rush is like over now. Yeah, like, that's like That sad. was younger than us. Yeah. And now it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now it's over. Now it's over. I liked Big Time Rush. I what? did not watch it. Me I watched either. it a couple of times because I, I had younger friends who watched it. Mm. Um, it seems like a show that I would watch. It's fun. It was a good time. It was really funny. I just remember watching the pilot and not loving it's it. It's like One Direction if they had a reality show. Did it? That didn't like the pilot of Big Time Rush premiere after some movie. I'm sure it premiered after some movie. <laughs> I remember like watching some movie that was a big premiere, and it must have been on Nickelodeon. I don't remember what movie it was, and I don't remember. I don't know it. a lot of the Nickelodeon movies. They're not as of as critically acclaimed as, as the, the DComs. As the DComs. Yeah, no, Big Time Rush was a fun time. It was a good show. Also, if you only watch the pilot, the pilot had different actors. Or it had at least one different actor. And then they changed one of the actors left. They replaced him for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. So the pilot's very different for that reason. But it was a good show. Jane, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um my throat is kind of killing me. It's really scratchy. It's really starting to hit you that you yeah. yell at children all day. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> for the most part. I think I do have a little cold, but I am. You sound a little stuffy. I am losing my voice. I sounded stuffy last week. 
Oh, so then I, it's good that you're not doing as much this week because yeah. you are losing your voice. Yeah, I don't feel stuffy. It's just my throat. Mm. But no, my my kids are very sweet, but I do a lot of yelling over them because they haven't figured out the whole. Oh, when an adult speaking, I don't speak. Thing. I think this last year has gotten um, has really trained me to project without screaming. Okay. I've always had a loud voice, but I feel like now I can get to such a volume and it's like, I'm not even straining. <laughs> that threshold just gets a little bigger every day. Wow. A vocal. Because I've had like 60 kids that I have house. to talk over for them to hear me go, one, two, three, eyes on me. One, two, <laughs> eyes on you. Oh my gosh. So good. Wow. My beautiful students. That was really good. You both get a star on the star chart. <laughs> quiet Coyote. Oh, yeah. I'm big on Quiet we Coyote. We do Quiet Coyote at my school. How are you, Sarah? Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Drinking some wine. Enjoying my... Tomorrow, I don't have to do anything. Like, nothing. I clean my room today. I'm all caught up on my, on my personal chores. Like, I have nothing to do tomorrow. That's such a gift. Wow. That's so nice. I'm just staring. I'm like, wow, like 24 whole hours, nothing to do. What am, I, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to do laundry at some point, but like, I don't have to leave the house. Just like lay in bed and I'm going to play video games. I don't also don't do have it. anything to do, but I feel like you deserve a you day. I can be your personal waiter. I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to decorate your room this weekend. because I really said, do. Last weekend, I went away. Last weekend, I went to my cousin's wedding. Congrats, Clay and Emily, if you're listening. <laughs> and before I left, Jane was like, okay, this weekend I have to do laundry and I have to work on my room because she wants to decorate decorate her room more and i was like okay you can do it and i even left a note did you see my note i did but i didn't see it until after you had already gotten back oh okay i left her a note of encouragement um <laughs> that she could do it and i came back sunday afternoon and i was like how's it going and jane was like i did my laundry <laughs> <laughs> which is good which is good i'll help you work on your room last week last sunday i made kelsey and jane sit in my room while um I cleaned <laughs> and they watch stuff on my television and so they could keep me company so I'll do the same for you this cool tomorrow. we'll sit in my room yeah okay so Laurel, Laurel. Oh how God. are you um, I'm oh, did we already ask her <laughs> yeah, we did ask she her said that. good she, she said, said good. good she said good she said good Laurel's um, a friend of ours from college and she did cool stuff like studied abroad in New Zealand mm-hmm. yes. yeah do you miss it every day <laughs> what was your favorite part about New Zealand I like can't even fathom what that part of the world is like because it just feels so far away. Um, it's super far away, but it's super like um, it feels like you're in like slightly off England to me. Like it's oh, okay. very like European and American culturally because uh, it's a colonized yeah. country and yeah. was taken from the native people and all that. But yeah, New Zealand was amazing. It's so pretty. It's so different. It's like everything's so much more rural and like I mean at the time I didn't live in New York City but now that I live in New York City and I'm like there were four million people in the entire country of New Zealand and there's eight million yeah right here (laughs) like there's more oh was it four okay now I don't remember four million sheep one million people or four million people 16 million sheep there's like (gasps) a whole like four sheep for every people yeah there's more of. sheep than there are people right yeah it's yeah. like they love to uh brag about that, that yeah like well oh, we look at sheep. our yeah sheep are great sheep are great we love sheep <laughs> yeah 
It's one of those things that, like, did today, this morning, I was texting my roommates from when I studied abroad in Florence. Like, we all were just talking. It was one of those things that, like, I felt such, like, a dull ache for, like, mm-hmm. like, not even just to, like, be in Florence, but to, like, be in Florence and be in college. Yeah. I was at NYU mm-hmm. for an event yesterday and just, like, seeing, people were talking about how it was their senior year and, like, getting in the elevator. And I was like, wow, like, be a senior in college again. Like, what was yeah. like, that was like, like, I felt such a, like, need to be like I want to be like a student experiencing things again yeah I don't know if I want to be a student again I'd love to experience things again though (laughs) I don't know if I need to write essays anymore I love experiencing things you know how we're done experiencing things yeah you don't experience anything after you're 22 (laughs) never Never. no but like I don't I don't need to like do student teaching again and all that stuff I did senior year but like I miss the like camaraderie of like right being a group of people who are coming to the end of this huge part of your life and all that. Yeah. All right. So we're, we'll talk about werewolves now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was so sorry. Now. We didn't burst out. Oh my god, that was just a really funny transition. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my god. So Laurel is going to talk to us about werewolves. Laurel, why are you interested in werewolves? Well, Sarah. That was a really good werewolf impression. That was so good. Thanks. Um, So werewolves, they just keep popping up for me. Um, (laughs) And howling. And howling, yeah. Um, No, really what happened is I was like seven or eight years old. And you got bit? Yeah, I'm a werewolf. That's exactly what I'm about to tell you. I'm coming out to you on this podcast as a werewolf. Um, no, I watched this documentary on the Discovery Channel about werewolves, and it scared the crap out of me. And this I is like, when you were like seven, yeah, when I was like seven. Oh, okay. And like I, I every night to this day like sleep with my blankets up to my chin, no matter how warm I am, because I convinced really? myself when I was little that like doing that would make like if a werewolf snuck into my room, he wouldn't bite me. <gasps> um, this is so interesting. <laughs> oh my God. Jane just grabbed my blanket when you said that. <laughs> my feet are chilly. Okay. Or are you worried me, the werewolf, will bite you? <laughs> blanket up more. Yeah. <laughs> Protect yourself. Um, and then um, I was a fan of the. I was not the biggest Twilight stan in the world, okay, but okay. as far as Twilight went, I went werewolf. In that series. <laughs> All right. If you we had met, Jacob. if we had met like ten years ago, we would have some serious beef. But Wait, that's oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, I was also that's a very whole... hardcore team Edward. That's a that's a whole different podcast. I feel like I that is <laughs> I feel like I would feel differently if I reread it. Although I tried to reread it like at one point um, early on in college, and I was like, I can't do this. Oh yeah, it's one of those things that's like. Sometimes I reread Twilight to remind myself about how silly it is. Like I'll read <laughs> passages and be like. Be like you're you were an idiot. Like I like, used to like bully myself. And I think like going back, like I was always like Jacob's like the healthier option. I think looking back, <laughs> they're neither of them are neither, neither of them were healthy. healthy Jacob was in love with one of her unborn eggs. So yeah. there was that. <laughs> that wasn't Jacob's fault. Um <laughs> like, stop, stop. Stop no. yelling into the microphone. Sit back. <laughs> and then um MTV had an amazing television series called Teen Wolf. <laughs> oh my god, we were just talking about that. I was saying it's surprisingly good. Um, and I watched it. I did not finish the whole series when it originally ran in like 
I think it was 2011 is when it started, and it only like ended two years ago. But um, it only ended two years ago. How many seasons were there? Six. <gasps> I have some. Oh my god, I this notes about it in ago. here. My roommate Melinda and I recently rewatched the series because I thought she would enjoy it because she enjoyed Riverdale. So if you like Riverdale, check out Teen Wolf on Amazon. Okay, Prime. that's interesting because I liked Teen Wolf, but I have no interest in Riverdale. So this interesting. is like uh... Riverdale's so but, fun because it's just so strange. But it's I also like, wa- I just can't get past the writing of the clips I've seen. I wonder if you're not interested though because you're older now. That's true. I watched Teen Wolf maybe when I was like a senior in high school. Yeah. But Teen Wolf is a great show. And then, yeah. It's a good time. Werewolves just pop up every once in a while for me. In your life. Okay, great. So Laurel's going to tell us about werewolves. Werewolves. Like there's werewolves. Werewolves. So I actually rewatched the documentary I watched as a child that scared the crap out of me. It is not scary. It's like very like <laughs> informational. <laughs> I love that we sent you on this reflection journey. It was like very informational. And like, I think some of the... It was only men in this documentary, but uh, some of them do, I think, truly do believe in werewolves. werewolves have different names? Oh, I meant like the men speaking. They do. Uh, Someone told me this recently. Waithwolves. Waithwolves. Thank you, Waith Talia. Yes. Talia told us that. Yes. Thank you, Talia. But it was called Legends of the Werewolves. It was a Discovery Channel documentary. I also was it made for kids? No. Oh, okay. So you watched it when it was yeah. made for children. Yeah, all and right, it's right. it's like the history of werewolves. It's like the mythology. That's exactly what we want. Yeah, I'm excited. You know what movie? Sorry, this is such a sidetrack. All right. What movie gave me nightmares for years and is not scary at all? What? Baby geniuses. <laughs> 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 because they're. <laughs> Wait, I love that movie. I used to love that there movie. There is a scene in that movie where, like, the henchmen of the main evil scientist, like, capture a toddler by wrapping him in a white blanket and putting him in a duffel bag. And I had nightmares for years that I would get kidnapped via being wrapped in a white blanket and put, put in a duffel bag. bag. Okay, that's fair. That is fair. That's a fair fear. Also, like, with my thing where I decide to put my blanket up to my neck, that sounds more like vampires to me, but yeah. it's what I came <laughs> yeah, up with for werewolves. True. That's true. I guess that is interesting that they're both biting, though. Like, how many mythological creatures is, like, it just gets passed on, like, zombies biting? Was that the only thing they could come up with? I don't know. Yeah. What Every, if, like, transforms What if, like, like fairies also bite you, but they're so small that you can, like, swap them away? Fairy bites. Fairy bites. That'd be, like, that sounds, like, <laughs> cute, though. It does. That sounds like fun. I don't know. I think Peter Pan is supposed to have had like super sharp teeth originally. Mm. But I don't know if he actually bit. He's a child though. That's different. (laughs) He bit me as like sometimes children's like 10. Uh, So werewolves. Um, Okay. (laughs) Here we go. So stories of werewolves come from like all over Europe and in Asia quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, most stories seem to come from France, Ooh. which is interesting. And I was kind of surprised because I kind of assumed there would have been like a, a racism aspect to werewolf stuff. Oh. But it was very European for other European people. So, OK, interesting. Not, not actually the case, which is nice. <laughs> what a pleasant surprise. <laughs> <laughs> What's that movie with Gary Oldman in it that got really terrible reviews that's about a wolf? He, like, hunts a wolf. Gary Oldman. I'm going to look it up. You keep talking. Um, I can't okay. picture him. Oh, now I can picture him. because He's serious black. That's what Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a wolf in Harry Potter. No, I know. <laughs> no. He's an oh, animated. Yeah, how dare you? It's he's a dog. dog. Lupin is a Lupin's wolf. Lupin's the werewolf. 
Get out I of didn't here. even come across anybody. Those two things, though, for, like, two characters that are best friends are very similar. <laughs> but that's the point, is that he becomes an Animagus so he can keep Lupin company. That's why they all become Animaguses. Did you even read? I did, but, like, he's a man and turns into a dog, so is Lupin. The other two ones that turn into animals don't turn into dogs. That's because they're gay. <laughs> <laughs> Wormtail and James Potter are gay? No. Oh, the other two. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, werewolves tend to come from Asia or Europe, but uh, stories of shapeshifters come from like literally every civilization ever, whether it's like um, like people turning into things mm-hmm. or like there's like stories of like like were cats and like were like uh what Jane's was the other thing cats. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was from Japan I'm not 100% sure mm-hmm. and stuff like that where so tigers is a thing in China I just read a book about it <gasps> oh yeah makes sense of that too <laughs> so for example in 5th century Greece there was a myth about a, na- a man named like Lycaon? Lyceon? I'm not positive how to pronounce like this. Like lichen? Oh like my gosh, lichen. Like lycanthrope? Because lycanthrope is the word for. Right. Don't, don't, don't steal my notes. Oh, um, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, do this to Jane. I do this to Jane all the time. I like jump ahead of her. Um, I'm not positive if his name is Lycaon or what. Lycaon, let's say, of Arcadia, son of Pelasgus. Pelasgus? The Gariel movie I'm thinking of is. Red Riding Hood, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. He's the wolf hunter. (laughs) So, like, Han of Arcadia, he angered Zeus because while he was in disguise as a mortal, Zeus was disguised as a mortal. This guy tried to trick him into eating a a sacrificed child. (gasps) What? (laughs) (laughs) So Zeus punished him, though, Uh, by turning him into a wolf. Because his like appetite was that of a wolf, and then he brought oh. he brought the boy back to life. Zeus brought the boy back to life. Oh, that's nice. Of After him. he had been digested, no, he tried to get Zeus to eat it, but and he Zeus wasn't wouldn't eat, eat it. Can oh, okay. <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> that's well, terrifying. there's a Shakespeare play that has a lot of like cannibalism. cannibalism. Yeah, what yeah, is yeah. it? Um, Titus. Titus Andronicus. Yeah. Yeah. There's. I didn't know that. I've never watched Titus. It's a wacky movie, but it's fun. Oh, that's the one Julie Taymor directed. Yes. So that's why it's wacky. We love her. I mean, even the ones she hasn't directed. It's a wacky play. It's a wacky play, yeah. It's a wacky one. There was also a Roman playwright who introduced the idea of full moons being tied to werewolves, which is a thing that is in, like, the cultural uh, story of werewolves now. Yeah. That werewolves turn into wolves during the full moon. So can't talk about werewolves without talking about Jane's girlfriend, the what? moon. Oh, my wife, you mean. <laughs> oh, your wife. I'm sorry. I forgot Well, we about haven't the officially wedding. had a wedding, but it's like probably like one of those common law marriages, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, the moon is historically very tied to werewolves. Um, as you probably know, the moon, um, the, I don't know, is it Latin word for moon? It, Luna? Luna. Um, yep. Is it Latin? Yeah. yeah. So that ties to the word lunatic because... <gasps> Apparently, people tend to more likelihood to have like erratic behavior mm-hmm. on full moons. That's because the moon affects the water and yes. the tide, and we are. Stop pretending you understand how the tides work. I know for a fact you don't. (laughs) You know, I know that you know that, but why do you have to tell them that? (laughs) But also, lunacy is considered like attributed to women because the moon can like affect your menstrual cycle or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So lunatic was like, that's why lunatic is a feminine word in Latin. Mm-hmm. Conjugation. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like ERs, I guess, are usually busier on oh. the nights of full moons. They never show that on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so lycanthropy is the supernatural transformation of a person into a wolf, usually during the full moon. So that's like a mythological word. But clinical lycanthropy is a diagnosis. It's a delusion Uh. that the affected individual can transform into or is an animal. So this is like... Oh my God, are there people out there who think they are werewolves? Yes, there are. (gasps) Basically, it's super rare. It's super, super rare. But it is like a official diagnosis. Is it like they can't remember the nights of full moon, so then they like become convinced that they... No, they'll more like think they are a werewolf and like pretend like not pretend they think it's happening but like act as if they're shifting into a wolf or whatever animal they may think they change into interesting okay interesting it can consist of delusions hallucinations disorganized speech and grossly disorganized behavior including like howling crawling on all fours all that kind of i feel like if i saw this i'd be terrified yeah. Like, it's a, it's a disease. It's not yeah. a fault. No, like, like psychiatrists so can deal with patients with this and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it can be tied to um, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or clinical depression, but it's, like, super, super rare. It's not, like, people with those things are going to start right. acting. It's, like, yeah. yeah. It's not, like, so, it's a correlation, but it's not a causation. Yes. yes. Correct. Yes. Good job, Sarah. Thank you. There was a theory that wearing pelts of animals would turn you into that animal, like, in the past. Interesting. Um, so. I want to be a cheetah. That'd be nice. Except you'd have to kill a cheetah and wear its skin. Oh, that would, would be, be sad. I would want to be And big, hard. Yeah, I would want to be a big cat for sure, though. Maybe a panther. You can just watch one until it dies of old age. And <gasps> oh, then, that's a good idea. And then, though. yeah. Yeah. I, I would definitely want to be a big cat. That's a good idea. I think I'd want to be a red panda. <laughs> They're so fun. They're so cute. They are, so, they are a good time. What would you want to be, Jane? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I'd want to be like an otter. Oh! <laughs> Otters are so cute. I like cry thinking about them. They're so cute. Oh, so Vikings, like, spread that rumor. They would wear the pelts of bears. They were called berserkers. and <gasps> that's, that's what a berserker how... is? Yes. I didn't know that. And then there's also, I think, like a supernatural kind of berserker, which is like a bear human, but that comes from the idea of Vikings wearing bear pelts. Good for them. Yeah. Oh, to be a Viking. My high my school. Um, Your ancestors were Vikings? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's mm-hmm. so cool. My high school mascot were the Vikings. Did they wear bear pelts? They might have in the picture. I don't remember anymore. Otherwise, it'd be historically inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> My high school, right before I went there, changed the mascot to the red-tailed hawks because before it was the sirens and we're an all-female school and they thought it was sexist. Oh. oh. <laughs> Sarah, good job mentoring Little Red Riding Hood. In an effort to pre- protect children from wolves and werewolves, <laughs> stories were created to like save children. Yeah, they would spread these stories about wolves and werewolves so there are stories we've been hearing since we were children about werewolves like little red riding hood and the three little pigs because like 
that wolf can talk and like yeah that's true i didn't think like about that. that so i thought it, i just took it as a as a folk tale not as the potential for werewolves and the need to build your house out of bricks <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess would sticks like be like wood isn't as good as bricks or is it like sticks i think they're like know? sticks sticks because like we also we're in america we value the cabin yes <laughs> <laughs> We're a big fan of the cabin, both Lincolns and Uncle Tom's and our own. Oh my gosh, I loved Lincoln Logs when I was little. Oh, me too. So I feel like it's more literal sticks than bricks. Fair, fair, fair. Or fair. Than, than logs. <laughs> Werewolf hysteria reached a, a high point in 16th and 17th century Europe, Ooh. and it coincided with the like witch hunt hysteria. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. And this didn't, like, the witch stuff, obviously, spread to America, the Salem witch trials, all that. But, like, the werewolf stuff didn't quite spread to okay. here. Did people think, like, we're in America now? There are no werewolves here. <laughs> we came to know. the land of the free where we are no longer hunted by <laughs> the, the wolf. The new world. <laughs> I don't know, because there are wolves in America. Yeah, there are a lot of wolves. So There are a lot of coyotes. Yeah, coyotes are in every state. In all 50 states, I believe. Maybe really? it's all, I think maybe it's all 48. Or not all 48, the lower yeah. 48. They're definitely in Alaska. Right, I don't know if they're in Hawaii, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the battle against, like, witchcraft was born out of economic unrest in Europe. Um, most people who were being accused of being witches and werewolves were peasants. Mm-hmm. And most people accusing them of being witches and werewolves were also peasants. They were so um, unable to change their status and the the disparity was so high that, like, it became a situation of, like, uh, I might be a peasant, but I'm not, like, that kind of peasant. And they started mm-hmm. literally, like, trying to kill each other off by accusing them of being witches and werewolves. That's sad. Um, it's very sad. Catholic Church also had to do with it, fighting the growth of the Protestant Church in Europe. But uh, I didn't do as much research on that. <laughs> That's fine. That's like a whole other can of worms. <laughs> so, but also like witch stuff, people believe that werewolves were people that made a pact with the devil that would let them turn into wolves and hunt at night and all that. That's interesting because every story we hear about people becoming wolves, I never feel like they're happy to be a werewolf. Yeah, it's like a curse. That's something that, like, totally switches from, like, whatever I said this was, 17th century to, like, when werewolves mm. become a part of Hollywood. Oh, Because okay. when werewolves were still, you know, the threat of them being real was alive and they weren't things you read in books or saw in movies. The threat of a werewolf was that it was going to eat you, but later right. it becomes that they might bite you and turn you into a werewolf. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That you could be like them. Yeah. That makes sense. So things that made someone maybe a werewolf included having <laughs> hair <laughs> growing on your palms and, like, eyebrows growing in together. So, like, a unibrow. So a lot oh, of... Mm, like, I remember making fun of people in elementary school for being too hairy. <laughs> yeah, so, like, a lot of people who are, like... Not me specifically, but, like, other people making fun of them. I was like, nice. wow, you were a bully. <laughs> no, I was nice. People who were, like, quote, like, not conventionally 
attractive mm-hmm. were often labeled as werewolves for that purpose. People who like lived alone, people who were hermits, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, between 1520 and 1630, 30,000 people in France alone were brought to trial for being a werewolf. <gasps> so that's, that's so a little what? over. Oh my god. That's a little over 100 years. 30,000 people were brought to trial. And they would treat them the same as witches. So, like, they'd be like, are you a werewolf? People would be like, no. (laughs) I'm not. And then they'd be like, are you sure you're not a werewolf? And they'd be like, yeah. And they'll be like, okay, now let's torture you for hours. Sure you're not a werewolf? And a lot of people would say they were after torture. Right. Because, like. Otherwise, they thought the torture would keep going. Right. So. That's really sad. Yeah. It, but also crazy. 30,000 30, people? 30,000, yeah. It's like 300 people a year. And... No, it's like... three. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. I don't Sorry, know, like... I don't know the exact statistic, but it was not like men were only accused of being werewolves. Like, plenty of women were accused of being werewolves as well. Mm. Um, which I believe mostly women were charged with being witches as well. Yeah. Which is... We're just some. Yeah, we're just killing the women. We're just, <laughs> I mean, that's how most of life is. But. Yeah. Historians have put together some reasons werewolf hysteria might have risen up aside from just, um, you know, going alongside with witchcraft and people being, uh, what was it? Hermits. Um, <laughs> we talked about clinical lycanthropy earlier. It's super rare. Like, the chances of you knowing someone who, like, thought they were a werewolf is not high but it's possible that would be crazy i don't even know what i would do if someone was like oh yeah i'm a werewolf (laughs) there was okay (laughs) there was a teacher an english teacher in my high school who like told us she was a werewolf what was she really or was she trying to be like a bit i don't i think she thought she was a werewolf she'd be like i really don't sleep well on full moons and like all that It was weird. <laughs> well, I mean, I told mermaid. I told one of my students I was a mermaid. No, okay, but, but that's when you, they're children. Lori we were in high, high school. school. I had her when I was sixteen, I believe. I think, yeah, I think by then that kid's gonna figure out that you weren't. Can you imagine that kid's gonna wake up one day and be like, Jane wasn't a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, there were still people who were making like medications from home and all of that or going to like a lady who mixed together medications and opium was still used ah, uh, yes. occasionally and poppy seeds and all that so people were getting high off of opium could have thought they saw a werewolf could have thought they were a werewolf stuff right. like that everyone mm-hmm. did a lot of drugs back then they didn't know <laughs> <laughs> they <just> didn't know <laughs> I don't... Do you guys know the whole theory that, like, the Salem witch trials happened because the girls who were, uh, like, accusing people of being witches were eating moldy bread? Uh, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. I looked over super... It super vaguely, and, yeah, it was just that, like, moldy bread was making people hallucinate, I guess. That was also suggested as a theory. Interesting. There's moldy bread everywhere. Moldy rye bread, I guess. Oh. I hate rye bread. And... Get out of here. It's so close. My Polish ancestors are quaking. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you guys have heard of, like, feral children, like, mm-hmm. children raised by animals. 
Yes, but I just like we should cover this sometime. Yeah. Like there are children out there who have been raised by animals and I need more information about this. I looked into one account, which <gasps> these girls were apparently raised by wolves, but should be noted that everything I found about them said like, well, this guy said this thing happened. Who knows what about it is true, if any of it. <laughs> okay. But there there are pictures. Like, there's, like, a picture of... It's Amala and Kamala. They're from India. And there's a picture of, like, two girls naked, like, on... Like, one's laying down and one's, like, on all fours, like, cuddle, like huddling together who are supposed to be them. So... Mm-hmm. But they are... Like I said, they lived in India. And a reverend was there. I think he was English as a missionary. And he claimed to have found them with this, like, mama wolf and other cubs. And the mm. villagers there shot the wolves, but uh, <gasps> saved the girls. Well, here's my question, though, when it comes to things like that, is that humans grow faster than wolves, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you find little girls. How old were they? Like, five, six? They guessed that Kamala was about eight years old and Amala was about a year and a half old. Yeah, so the other puppies would be full grown by then. Well, I the idea was that these girls were either abandoned or this mm. wolf like stole them somehow, mm. and then mm. like she had wolves of her own, oh, like okay. wolf cubs of her own. Okay. Um, so they're like little siblings. They will grow to look like us, I guess. <laughs> but they saved these girls, and they were terrified of humans. They like bit at people. They like growled, and they liked animals more than humans. Um, mm-hmm. Food. Obviously. <laughs> Jane, like, Jane too. <laughs> and then in September of 1921, which I think was like a year after they'd been found, they both like got a stomach disease. Unspecified. It was 1921. I don't know if they really know what they had. Yeah. And Amala, the younger one, died at about two and a half years old. Oh. And Kamala survived. But it, they went on to talk about how feral children tend to not live long. And I think that's super like... That should, like, be super looked into because you would think, like... I wonder if it's because, like, the not getting access to, like, medical services and the younger, like, vaccinations and... It could be that, but they seem to also think maybe it's, like, psychological. Like, they're not Mm. comfortable. Like, things that do comfort them are not considered comforting. Right. Another thing that people could confuse for werewolves, there's a condition called hypertrichosis which is increased hair growth all over the body. And if you look up pictures of people, it's, like, literally, like, what you would describe as, like, a wolf man. Like, Mm -hmm. it's hair all over your body. Like, their face is completely made up of hair. And if somebody had that in 1624, I can imagine. Hypertrichosis? Yeah. Yeah, it's called werewolf syndrome. Yeah. Okay, if I saw someone with this, I'd be, like... Looks like he has eyelashes all over him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's interesting because, like, their face structure doesn't get changed. It's, like, literally they're just hairy. If I saw someone, werewolf. I would definitely do a double take. But, you know, werewolf hysteria died down eventually. People kind of got over it. And then later on, especially in Europe, like, horror kind of literature got big. Like, mm-hmm. yes. Frankenstein, Dracula, we all We love the stuff. gothic era. Yes. <laughs> but there wasn't, like, a big werewolf story. Really. Werewolves got their day to shine when <laughs> Hollywood happened. Wait, what's Beowulf about? Beowulf is a... <laughs> it's not about a wolf. It's okay, a man. Okay, all right, I'm sorry. I'm Beowulf's sorry. a man. He fights... 
so Grendel is the monster in Beowulf. Okay. Cool. He's like, I think he might be a Viking, actually. I know nothing or, about Beowulf. <laughs> oh, I think he is a Viking. Or, I just said I know nothing. Or you know, like Viking but it, era. But it's something. like, the, I know that book is from like 1300. Yeah, it's yeah. real old. It's old. It's and your old. boyfriend's a werewolf, and you're like, wow, Bay's a wolf. Bay, <laughs> a wolf. Stop. Please stop. <laughs> I did a production, like, I was helping at a theater camp of, we did the production of Beowulf with, I think, 10 to 12 year olds. It was a choice. <laughs> that is a choice. Um, That's funny. Because, like, everyone's getting murdered every night by Grendel, so, like, kids just kept dying. <laughs> My kind great. of theater. Have you you guys have seen the Sandlot, right? Oh, have I seen the Sandlot? You know the part after <laughs> Benny is getting chased by um the dog? Yes. And they run into the movie theater and a movie's playing. Mm-hmm. That movie's called The Wolf Man, and it's like the first big werewolf movie. Oh. And I like that that's how you chose to Yeah. Tell. Well, that's what I thought when like the documentary was talking about. It. I was like, I've seen this movie. And I was like, no, I haven't. I've seen the Sandlot. <laughs> I've seen the Sandlot. I love the Sandlot. There was also a book called The Werewolf of Paris, and when they made it into a movie, they changed it to The Werewolf, Werewolf of London. London. Yeah. Oh my god, I watched that movie last year with my mom and Michael. It's not a movie to watch with your parents. It isn't? No. Is it sexy? There's like a very, it's a 70s movie, so the sex scenes are very prolonged. Oh, okay. So the first one was in like the 40s or something, though. That must have been mm. a remake. Yes. Um, But something I thought was super interesting, in those two movies, The Wolfman and The Werewolf of London, they censored the transformation scenes. So like the scenes where he, the man turned into oh, a werewolf. Oh, yeah. This is definitely a remake I saw because they were not censored. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was it, They censored it in England because of dark, it like, Seem to promote Darwinism. Oh. <laughs> Which I was Whoa. like, that's like the 30s or 40s, I think. And I was like, still, that was a problem? But, yeah. It still is a problem. It's still a problem. There are people out there that deny evolution constantly. I guess it is, but it's not getting censored as much anymore, at least. Yeah, 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 you're right. As much. <laughs> and then during World War II, there was an embargo. An embargo? That's not what I meant to write. There was a, like... You weren't allowed to make horror movies mm. during World War II because they were like, people are too worried about other stuff. Like, this is <laughs> There's not, enough happening. <laughs> there's enough happening. We don't need to add to it. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're doing the opposite now. <laughs> it's true. Give them more to Things worry. Things are scary and they could get scarier. And, like, I guess, like, I don't... I'm personally not a fan of get, giving Hitler more airtime than he needs. But I, he was, like, big into wolves and, like, would whistle who's afraid of the big bad wolf. And he was really into horror. So that was also part of it, I guess. I don't know. Interesting. But horror came back hard when it was allowed again because audiences were like, I need an emotional release, please. Just mm. scare me for two hours. Yeah. I just, I need to be distracted. Thrill me. Like, fair. Like, very fair. <laughs> fair. Super fair. Hollywood films created some of the, like, myths we associate with werewolves like that they're around to bite you instead of eat you that's like a hollywood thing also that silver bullets will kill oh. a werewolf that's a hollywood creation i want to take this moment to say please save the wolves wolves are endangered like almost every kind <laughs> of them and i really like wolves and oh wolves are really cute i want them to stay alive and they they are dangerous and they are um you know, not don't go cuddle with a wolf in the wild, but That's like all I want. they're not gonna uh, hurt you I love if wolves. 
Get a husky. You don't, so like, cute. tempt them and are mean to them, so let's be nice to them. My coworker, Carissa, she told me this story. She's on the show. She told me the other day she was walking down the street and there was a dog so big and so fluffy that she was like, is this a wolf? Like, <laughs> is there just a wolf in Manhattan? She was so alarmed. It was like a Newfoundland. <laughs> So werewolves become sexy during the 70s, which is why Sarah <laughs> saw the werewolf of London and was uncomfortable with her parents. Yeah, it was super uncomfy. <laughs> like, there was a book, I think, that came out that was, like, super sexually charged about werewolves, and then movies started doing that. And then, of course, we had Twilight and Jacob with his abs and his shirtlessness. Um, <laughs> Teen Wolf is a very sexy TV series. MTV really delivered it to us. Yeah, it was MTV as well, which helps. Um, is that everything about yes, werewolves? That is all I have on werewolves. Yay! Yay! Thank you, Laurel. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laurel. That was great. That was really, really wow. interesting. Alrighty. My turn. Woo! So, for Reddit. It's you, not going to be a question. So oh, yeah, yeah. We're changing the Reddit section, like, a little bit, so it's not necessarily always a question, but more of, like, a discussion prompt. Yeah, it's, like, a fun, it's like a fun sure. interjection, um, except I really went off-road off today. I didn't even get on Reddit. Um, so, <laughs> back when we launched the show, we were asking all of our friends what we wanted to talk about, and Laurel told Jane... Oh, my God. Many moons ago. <laughs> I don't even know if you remember this, but it's been sitting on our notes app for months. About ancient porn. Oh my god, I do remember asking about this. <laughs> so today... I'm so <laughs> Oh, I can't do my parents. I did this podcast. We're going to have to mark this episode as explicit, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> today, for our Reddit segment, because my regular segment's also really short, I'm going to talk a little bit about ancient pornography. <laughs> <laughs> about some forms. So, here, here we go. Some of the oldest examples of erotica come from Paleolithic cave paintings and carvings. The most popular images of cave drawings are those of animals, hunting scenes, and genitalia. Nice. Cavemen wanted three things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have you ever seen the Venus statues? They're the women who are like very voluptuous. Yeah, Yeah, that's an early form of pornography. Um, the Venus figurines show women with drastically exaggerated sexual characteristics. That's considered early pornography. I learned about that in my anthropology class. Um, recently discovered cave art at Creswell, Creswell Crags in England, thought to be more than 12,000 years old, includes some symbols that may be stylized versions of female genitalia. And it literally just looks like, it looks like a UFO, but it's supposed to be a vulva. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like the Millennium Falcon. That's what I thought of. In 2005, archaeologists in Germany discovered a 7,200-year-old scene depicting sexual intercourse, and the male in the image has been named... I'm not gonna... I'm gonna butcher this. It's in German. Adonis von Schernitz. Is that where the name Adonis comes from? No. Adonis is an ancient Greek figure. Oh, okay. A Greek figure? Egyptian? Egyptian. Egyptian. No, Adonis was the mortal lover of the goddess Aphrodite, and he mm. he was, like, so handsome that Aphrodite just had to sleep with him. <laughs> That's, like, the whole myth. She had no choice. Yeah, I know that word because in Twilight, going back, <laughs> Bella often refers to Edward as an Adonis, and I was like, I'm 11. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ended up taking 
I learned about Greek mythology in my freshman year of high school, and I was like, that's what Adonis is? Okay. Um, glyptic art from Mesopotamia from the early dynastic period frequently shows scenes of sex in many different sexual positions depending on the art pieces. So it would be like, if it's pottery, it's missionary. And if it's... <laughs> And if it's something else, it's a different position. Like, (laughs) it matters. Okay. This is all BC, by the way. The Pre-Bible. Yeah, pre-Bible. Oh, that's the issue with our PB. (laughs) Because pre and post don't start with P. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Isn't it before Common Era now? Yes. Yes. Before Common Era. That's more. Common Era. Yes, that is the... Christian focus. Yes, that is the less Christian yes. focused way to say it. Um, the Truan erotic papyrus, which is a very famous ancient pornographic artifact, is an Egyptian scroll discovered at Deir el Medina. The last two thirds of the scroll show men and women in various sexual positions. The men in the illustrations are this is a quote scruffy, balding, short, with, with exaggerated genitalia. <laughs> That's how I like them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> the scroll was painted sometime between 1291 and 1075 BCE, and the high artistic quality of it indicates that it was produced for a wealthy audience. A rich man Ooh. wanted this scroll. That's um, a very famous artifact. The ancient Greeks often painted sexual scenes on their ceramics, including some of the earliest depictions of same-sex relationships. Ooh. Yeah. Greek art often portrays sexual activity, um, but it was so in a lot of the a lot of these artifacts are used to distinguish like oh this was illegal because mm-hmm. of like the state that it's in and where it was found and stuff ah. like that. But in Greek history and Greek art, it's really hard to tell because um, the ancient Greeks did not have a concept of pornography as a like activity like as a like okay. as an industry i got you i got you to, like, they were them, just like it's to just... them like sex was just yeah. part of everyday life yeah. and like all their art reflected everyday life which is why it's everywhere mm-hmm. because they're like we just paint what we do and this is what we do <laughs> yeah as opposed to like other cultures where it was like this is a san- sanctimonious thing mm-hmm. so therefore pornography is like considered crude like the Greeks mm-hmm. are like it's not sanctimonious it's natural it's fun we like it mm-hmm. we love the Greeks <laughs> um, a fun fact oh this is interesting the Greeks idealized small penises oh. and then the Romans because of the Greeks also were like we prefer small penises so have you ever looked at a statue like a Greek or Roman statue that's naked are. and been like that's pretty small that's because they wanted them to be small Interesting. Yeah. Size doesn't matter, you know? It's just what you do with it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know? Um, the Greeks' hymn to Aphrodite was the first well-known instance of lesbian eroticism. We love Whoa. the lesbians. We love them. In Pompeii, we can find ancient pornographic frescoes. That's, like, something that's always pointed... When I went to Pompeii, like, the tour guy was, like, every tour, I point this out. And I was, like, you give tours to high schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fresco of two people having sex um, still in Pompeii. The Romans would include pornographic art on the side of brothels, like over the doors, um, to advertise the sexual services that you could find there. Sure. So, like a modern day billboard. Just you know? good marketing. Um, phalluses in Roman times were also considered a good luck charm. Oh. Yes. So that's why they liked phallic symbols, thought they were good luck. 
Um, there has been a long tradition of erotic painting in the East. One of the most famous mm-hmm. sexual manuals is the Kama Sutra. Right. As we know, written in India during the first few centuries um, of the common era. Somewhere in there. In Japan, woodblock prints commonly depict erotic scenarios. Um, the erotic art of China reached its peak during the latter part of the Ming Dynasty in the 1600s. And in both China and Japan, eroticism played an important role in the development of the novel. Huh. Yep. So, that is some fun facts about ancient pornography. Wow. So, I have a question. Okay. The, like, Venus statues? Yeah. So, was pornography used as, like, a way to, like, be like, oh, yeah, that thing I like to do? Or, like, people used it for masturbation purposes? I think, um, I think the cases, like, the Venus statues, I think that would be more for masturbation purposes it's a piece of art that you would have in their house as opposed okay. to the Greeks who like they use their art to convey their culture and lifestyle like the papyrus scroll was probably used for masturbation right yeah that makes sense it was commissioned that makes sense yeah I think many of these would be commissioned I guess if they're private right that's probably what they're yes, for. <laughs> yes. that is fair I don't think anyone today, I still think that's true today, I don't think anyone's making pornography to put it in the Cannes Film Festival. Like, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, it's for private purposes. <laughs> Hi. Hello. It's, it's Wednesday morning. It's Wednesday morning. <laughs> for you this is mid episode um so here's what happened in the middle towards the beginning of me talking about Nicholas Flamel my the system we use to record which I will not throw shade but what the heck <laughs> um just yeeted that that audio out of there and it inserted the audio from our Vietnam episode <laughs> So it suddenly went from me talking about Nicholas Flamel to Jane talking about um, Ho Chi Minh, Ho Chi Minh, <laughs> and I was like, "This is not correct." And I don't know if it's because I was deleting some old files this weekend or when something like that. I don't, I don't know what happened. Um, but it is Wednesday morning for us, as you now know. The episode was not released on Wednesday. <laughs> it is now Friday for you, and we are so sorry. I realized this on Tuesday morning because I'm a procrastinator. So we are going to re-record for the third time <laughs> for us now the Nicholas Flamel segment without Laurel um, this morning and release this episode on Friday. So I'm very sorry. We're very sorry for postponing this. Um, this is the third time for Jane because during the episode <laughs> when we were recording with Laurel, I realized um, the microphone had gotten unplugged like 20 minutes into me talking. <laughs> so I had to do it twice for them. And so Jane, this is her third time. I'm going to totally pretend that I know nothing about Nicholas Flamel. Yeah, okay. But just suspend your disbelief. I mean, like, you do say that you forget everything that I do. Say. Like, honestly, when you were just saying, like, I was listening to Jane talking about Ho Chi Minh, I was like, I kind of want to remind myself. I might go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, re-educate yourself. Very important. So <laughs> we're doing it again. So thank you. We didn't get to... You won't get to hear our thank you to Laurel, but thank you so much, Laurel, for being on the show. Um, you did a really great job, and it was great having you with us. Um, thanks for coming out and supporting us. And here is Nicholas Flamel. 
Jolly old Saint Nick. (laughs) We love him. So, according to legend, Nicholas Lamel was a 14th century alchemist who created the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir of Life and then went into hiding um, with his wife, Purnell, for all of eternity. Just like, wow, couple goals. <laughs> they can stand to be, with to, get, to be together for eternity. Make me emotional. Yeah. Um, the legend of Nicholas Lamel is highly debatable. What we do know about Nicolas Femel is that he was born in Pontois, France in 1330, and he died in Paris in 1418, so a long, long time ago. And he didn't die of the bubonic plague, which, like, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was hard to do back then. Hard to do. Um, Nicolas Femel had a good life. He was a scribe and a bookseller with multiple stores than he owned. In 1368, he married Purnell. Um, and because she had been married twice before, she brought a substantial wealth to the marriage. Yeah. Which, like, I would like to say that if you were married twice before in the Middle Ages and that got you wealthy, like, nowadays people would be like... Like, I guess a wealthy divorcee, but, like, back then, yeah. People would be, like, suspicious. I'm even suspicious. Yeah. I watch, t- I watch television. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I watch a lot of... Um, thrillers <laughs> that's like always the plot so i don't think she was suspicious i think she was a nice lady but good for her <laughs> the two of them owned several houses in paris and lived a comfortable lifestyle we know that he and Purnell donated to churches and other establishments and therefore they were probably well liked in the community because they had la moula <laughs> um the two of them oh sorry Flamel's life is actually one of the most well-documented in medieval history, which is really cool. We have his birth certificate, his marriage license, deeds to his home, his will, and his death certificate, which for like 1400s, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. Ancestry DNA can't even tell me like when my (laughs) grandfather died. (laughs) Like, can't even get me those documents. So they're doing pretty good with that. At his house, 51 Rue de Montmorency still stands today, and it's the oldest house in Paris. Really? Yeah. 1407, yeah. which you would think they'd have an older one. Do you think the English are like, I've seen older <laughs> when they go to Paris? Um, yeah, it's the oldest house in Paris. Outside, there's an inscription that reads, We, plowmen and women living at the porch of this house, built in 1407, are requested to say every day an Our Father and an Ave Maria, praying God that his grace forgive poor and dead sinners. Which, like, they don't say anything about rich and living sinners, I just realized. <laughs> so, like, screw them, I guess. Whatever. Um, there's currently a restaurant inside of his house, which, like, I think is wrong. I don't know. I thought there'd be, like, at least be a museum. And there's not a lot about him to make a whole museum dedicated to Nicholas Flamel, but, like, about alchemy or something. Is it? What's the restaurant like? Is it, like, it'd be cool know. if it was, like, alchemy-themed. That would but... be cool. I doubt it. It's probably yeah. just, like, a regular French restaurant. Um, but that that would be... I don't know. I feel like it's weird to have, be like, this is the oldest house in Paris. It's a restaurant. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, su- I'm surprised. That surprises me. In 1410, Flamel designed his own tombstone to be placed at the Musée du Cluny. Um, the tombstone was carved with images of Christ, St. Peter, and St. Paul. And that is important. This is one of the reasons that he's very famous because he designed his own tombstone, which like a lot of people consider like a bad omen. But he was like, I don't care. I'll do it. 
I want to, which like I get, you know mm. how, like, I feel like people joke all the time, like, oh, put that on my gravestone. Well, he like, <laughs> he just made sure that happened. You know, he, he took charge of his own life. Today, there is a street in Paris, very close to the Louvre, named after Nicolas Flamel, and the Rue Nicolas Flamel intersects with Rue Pernel, which is named after his wife. <laughs> Do you think there's a statue of them there? <gasps> that I be, hope. That would be really cute. That would be really cute. Jane loves a love story. I'm going to Google it right now. All right, look at it. Up. There's a statue there. Okay, so Nicolas Flamel died in 1418, as I said, and then just short of 200 years after his death in 1612, an alchemical book titled Exposition of the Hieroglyphical Figures, that's the English title, I'm not going to say it in French, um, was published under Nicolas Flamel's name and was like, people were like, oh, Nicholas Flamel wrote this book in the 1600s, 200 years after his death. The book contains a collection of designs for an art meant to be built at the Cimetière des Innocents in Paris, which had already disappeared by the time the book was published, which kind of like gave it credit to Flamel being like, oh, this thing was alive. This thing was alive. This building was still there in Flamel's time. So he must have written it because it's not around now. Um, and this art or tympanum has become very famous um, to alchemists. The introduction of the book, written in first person, supposedly, supposedly by Flamel, describes his search for the Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, if you are a Harry Potter fan, we are talking about that Philosopher's Stone and that Nicholas Flamel. <laughs> if you haven't read Harry Potter, I can't help you. <laughs> Nothing we can do. Nothing, nothing we can do about that. Go read a book. According to Flamel, and I'm using air quotes here around Flamel, um, Flamel had purchased a mysterious 21-page book containing odd hieroglyphics. This 21-page book is not the exposition of hieroglyphical figures. The exposition of hieroglyphical figures is um, his notes about the mysterious 21-page book. That mysterious book that he supposedly owned has never been found. Mm. Yes. Creepy. Do-do-do-do. That's his house. That's his house? Oh, it does say Nicholas Flamel. See, like, that's, like, a cute house. Like, that looks like it would be in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. That, like, sign, because it's got one of those, like, old-fashioned lamps on it. Um, got, like, a oil lamp. Um, it's got a cool sign. There isn't a statue. There isn't a statue. Well, that's fine. We'll forgive them. <laughs> but get on it. <laughs> You're sleeping on Nicholas and Purnell. <laughs> you really are. They're a great love story. Alchemy Lab, which is a website, says that Nicholas Flamel had a dream that an angel appeared to him and showed him this mysterious book, saying, Look well at this book, Nicholas. At first, you will understand nothing in it. Three quarters of it, neither you nor any other man. But one day you will see in it that which no other man will be able to see. And then the next day, a young man appeared in the store with this mysterious book and Nicholas Flamel bought it from the young man. Only this website brought up this story. So I feel like they were just trying Mm. to like create like a compelling story about Nicholas Flamel, this like famous alchemist and what happened. There's not really any evidence that that he had a dream of an angel. We do know if he if he did obtain this book he was a bookseller and most how booksellers worked is like people would bring in a book and be like take it and they would buy it so that's probably how he got it are you googling pernell yes i don't know why this picture of um charlie's there but 
Maybe she played a character that was inspired by Pernell. I mean, we know so little about Pernell. It's really hard. I feel like it's really hard to be like, this is what these people in the 1300s were like, unless they were like royalty. Yeah. Because we just have no documentation of that. Like it's, She has a Wikipedia page, but that was just her images. I was looking to see if there were any gotcha. like, statues or art. I know, like, for Harry Potter, there's a Nicholas Flamel page on Pottermore, which, like, when you Google Nicholas Flamel, is the first thing that comes up, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Pottermore page. Um, J.K. Rowling, like, changed a lot of his backstory, and she changed how Pernell and Nicholas met. Um, they met mm. at wizard school. Um, they went to <laughs> Beau Battens. Um, of course they did, because they lived in France. I know, and the Beau Battens are my favorite. Sorry, Hogwarts. Um, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, Durmstrang. Which, like, they say Nicholas <laughs> no, Fumel went there, but why? <laughs> no, Durmstrang is shady. Like, they say that Nicholas Fumel went there, but in the movie, we only see it, it looks like it's an all female school, unless only the women participated in, but in the, the Tri Wizard tournament. Books, it's not all female. I don't oh, think. okay. I, for, I don't know or maybe why the, the girls movies... just got a dramatic entrance. Yeah, and the boys were like. Because Durmstrang, it's the same. Only men come from Durmstrang. Yeah, I don't think that's true in the books. Okay. I, yeah, I haven't read Goblet of Fire in a long time, so I didn't remember. I do love that traumatic entrance, though. And if Bo Battens was like, we'll just send the ladies, like, good for them. Another reason why I love Bo Battens. <laughs> like, they were like, we don't need the men to go. We know a woman will do it. <laughs> love her. Flor Delacour, my queen. Okay, anyway. So, yes, this, like, legend about the angel and the young man, whatever, appearing to him. Like, we don't think that's true. That sounds biblical to me. Mm-hmm. Like, they stole that. So, according to the introduction in the Exposition for the Hieroglyphics, around 1378, he traveled to Spain for assistance with the translation of the mysterious book. He probably chose Spain because, according to, quote-unquote, Flamel, parts of the book were in ancient Hebrew, and the Jews had been so persecuted in France that they had moved to Spain. They had kind of fled. Um, So that's probably why he chose Spain. On the journey back to France from Spain, I assume that the trip to Spain was unsuccessful or he got what he needed. He's like, he kind of glosses over that. He met a sage who was just a wizard, or wizard, quote unquote, who identified Flamel's book as a copy of the book of Abramelin the Mage. Abramelin is Abraham, if Abraham, Mm. but some people believe Abraham had magical, mystical powers. Flamel and his wife allegedly decoded enough of the book to create silver in 1382, then gold, and eventually the Philosopher's Stone. What did he make the silver and gold out of? Common metals. Okay. Which is confusing because they say, like, the Philosopher's Stone is the thing that gives you the power to turn common metals into silver and gold, but they they created the Philosopher's Stone last... Maybe what he means to say is that he created the Philosopher's Stone and then he created Silver Gold and then the Elixir of Life. Yeah. That would make more sense. And maybe he, like, turned lead into gold or and he turned something else into silver and then later he was like, hold on, let me make something that'll do this in an easier way. Maybe. Because only I know how to do this process. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Philosopher's Stone, even before Flamel, had been, like, a coveted alchemical tool mm-hmm. that people have been trying to make, but no one could do it um so the arch or the tympanum that the book describes this is flamel's book um is full of alchemical hints that flamel discovered while studying his mysterious book 
Many believe that the arch contains the secret recipe for the Philosopher's Stone. So I said earlier that his tomb had pictures of Christ, St. Peter, and St. Paul. Those three also appear on this arch that Flamel designed, except a lot of the symbology is mixed around. So things, Peter is typically depicted as holding a stone. Mm-hmm. But in this, it would be like Paul holding the stone. And Peter is typically oh. wearing like blue. Or Paul typically wears blue, but in this one, Peter's wearing blue. So they thought that these slight altercations to the typical depictions of... Alterations. Yeah. yeah, These slight alterations were hints Mm -hmm. to how to create the Philosopher's Stone. Wow. Another text, uh, The Treasure of Treasures, was published in 1699 and is also attributed to Flamel. And this book is like an illustrated alchemical notebook. It's it's not meant to be a published book. It's literally just notes. Oh. Um, and not many articles talked about this, but Google Arts and Culture was like, no, this was Nicholas Flamel's. Oh. Yeah. Which I thought was like, okay. Sleeping on it. Yeah. Why does only Google Arts and Culture know about this? So for some quick information about alchemy, if you don't know a lot about alchemy, which I didn't, alchemy is an ancient philosophy about science, so it's thinking about science. Um, It was first practiced in India, China, and Hellenistic Egypt, and is associated with the Greek god Hermes. So Jane learned what a caduceus is when we... (laughs) first recorded this the caduceus like, you made up that word no the caduceus is a very famous symbol um that's now attributed to hospitals mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's because it's the sort it's the swirly thing that's the only way i know how to describe <laughs> it but that was hermes would carry that in, okay like as the greek god hermes that was his thing um so that's why it was an alchemy symbol and then it became a medical symbol because medicine really derived from alchemy Alchemy spread to the Islamic world in the 8th century, where alchemists made significant chemical discoveries. So, like, yes, alchemy is, like, thinking about science, but they also did lead to, like, actual scientific discovery. Um, In the 12th century, key Islamic texts were translated into Latin, which spread its popularity to Western Europe. The 12th century really entered medieval Europe. The treasure of treasures is written in code, like many alchemical recipes. Very few of them are written flat out, like add sugar, boil. (laughs) Um, The images in the text represent key ideas so that only those who already know what they are looking for can understand them, which to me seems like not the best strategy because then it's like okay then how do you learn it in the first place like if you only know what it says if you're looking for it that how do you learn like it just it seems it seems really tricky to me it seems like not the best teaching strategy but I mean, what do I know? Um, Symbols might indicate different ingredients, equipment, or procedures. It can mean any of those things. They also include in scientific theories. So, like, a lot of scientific theories started with alchemists. And, like, Sir Isaac Newton was considered an alchemist. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that cool? The Philosopher's Stone is significant because alchemists thought the stone could transform common metals into silver or gold. They also believed only the Philosopher's Stone could produce the elixir of life, which would give you eternal life. In alchemy books, it is thought symbols showing pairs of animals becoming one denote the Philosopher's Stone. So in The Treasure of Treasures, it's two birds sitting on top of a caduceus looking like they're about to, like, combine. And that's the Philosopher's Stone. They think in this book. 
Um, alchemists did make many important scientific discoveries because they would test many ingredients using different processes. So they would like boil and then let it condense and then let it vaporize like the same ingredient over and over to see what happened. And because there was so much trial and error, um, they were able to develop like actual scientific and medicinal techniques. Um, and that you they, they essentially let, paved the way for early modern medicine and the early chemical industry which i think is really cool alchemists would often use birds to symbolize different stages of the chemical process um it, i thought this was really funny in flamel's book a pelican feeding her chicks represents the cybation process and a cybation is when ingredients are repeatedly dissolved into vapors and then recondensed because it makes the mixture like more potent oh but like i don't understand why that's a pelican <laughs> <laughs> Like, did he just pick a bird and he was like, okay, cybation, pelicans. Like. <laughs> What's the French word for pelican? Does it sound like cybation? I don't know. <laughs> I've got no idea. Well, it, it probably would have to mean that the French word for pelican sounds like the French word for cybation. Oh, true. Which is just layered. The <laughs> phoenix represents the final stage of the recipe, which in Flamel's book would be the creation of the philosopher's stone. So they think he drew a phoenix because he was able to create the philosopher's stone because like rebirth from the ash mm-hmm. which is again very harry potter the super carlin brothers have a lot of videos about well not a lot of videos but they have a couple videos with theories about this and how it relates to harry potter and the phoenix yeah the well not stone. yeah there like there's one scroll apparently in like the london harry potter exhibit mm-hmm. that's apparently like the scroll that's like the recipe oh um, and there's certain elements in it. Wait, from like me- like modern medieval times, or they made it for Harry Potter? I don't think they made it for Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Um, but th- there's like certain parts of it that the Super Carlin brothers are like, oh, this part is this character, and yada yada yada. It, it, you don't oh. have to watch it. I'm not good at explaining it. But. Oh, that does sound really cool. There is no proof. No physical evidence that flamel fashioned the stone only circumstantial evidence supposedly grave grave robbers which i don't know why they would admit this once dug oh. up flamel's grave and to find it empty because they were looking for the mysterious book mm. that like once it was published everyone was like oh he must have been buried with it because it was so mysterious um Flamel also lived to be 88, which was practically unheard of in the 1300s. Yeah. Um, so many people thought he had to have fashioned some sort of longevity elixir, if not the elixir of life, to live that long. Um, I actually don't know when Purnell died. I know nothing about her death. She didn't. She didn't. <laughs> yeah, she was like, like that's probably true, though. Like, it, it probably would be much <laughs> easier to live forever as a woman because no one cares. Right? It's like, once mm. your husband dies, it's like, well... Like, we don't have documentation of her death, but probably no one cared to keep track of women's deaths. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the validity of the exposition of hieroglyphical figures was questioned in 1761, about 150 years after its publication, by Etienne Villon. His last name's literally Villain. <laughs> but he seems like an okay guy. He was just like, hey, this is fake. Which is no fun, but I don't think that makes him a villain. I do. No, he claimed that, oh, get ready for this name. P. Arnold de la Chevalerie. Chevalerie. (laughs) Hold on, wait, let me say that again. P. Arnold de la Chevalerie published the exposition under the pseudonym Irenaeus Arandis. What is up with these names? And made the entire Flamel legend up. He was like, this guy did it. 
for huh. fame and for fun <laughs> there was no other reason like i couldn't find a singular reason why this guy would benefit from pretending that nicholas flamel lived forever and, and there then, was then he was bringing us all fun yeah maybe he was just like a, like a just trying to have a good man. time yeah he was like i'm just trying to have some fun here like us with this podcast <laughs> Historians can say with near certainty that Flamel was never an alchemist, just a scribe. But it is fun to believe that a kind bookseller led a secret life as a powerful alchemist who may still be living forever with his wife. Oh, yeah. And that is Nicholas Flamel. Woohoo! Woohoo! Thank you so much for listening and thank you for your patience for this release <laughs> on Friday. We will be back at you with an episode next Wednesday again. So, less time to wait. Very exciting. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've Been Wondering.com, where we post exciting content related to every episode. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to us on Patreon. It means the world to us and it helps us invest more time into our podcast, which we love doing. And if you can't make a donation on Patreon, please consider leaving us a five star review on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out there and share our joy with the world so yay and finally if you have something that you've been wondering you can email us at i've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we will absolutely incorporate that into our show jane you know what i've been wondering what have you been wondering sarah so we discussed last when we recorded this originally that you've been giving me a lot of people <laughs> like <laughs> i've just been like doing biographies for weeks which is totally fine i like doing it um but i think i'm gonna turn the tables on you a little bit um and and have you talk to me about some people okay <laughs> which is i want you to talk to me about the molly mcguires do you know who they are no when I saw that on our list of potential topics, I assumed it was a woman. No, it's a secret society. Ooh. But they were amazing, and I learned a little bit about them in middle school, but I don't really remember. I remember learning about them because there was a girl in my grade who was related to a Molly Maguire. So, like, I remember her being like, yeah, my ancestor was a Molly Maguire, which is really cool. But I don't remember why it was cool. So, <laughs> so please tell me all about the Molly Maguires. Happily. Sarah, you know what I've been wondering Ooh. since Laurel brought it up? Oh, boy. You've been thinking about it for days. <laughs> what have you been wondering, Jane? How do I phrase this? What? Not what's it like to be a feral child, but <laughs> can you tell me about feral children? Feral children. And, like, uh, ones that actually have been with... Like, yeah, absolutely. Feral children. Absolutely. Feral children besides Mowgli. Mowgli. I love the Jungle Book. I love that movie so much. It's so good. Absolutely. I can tell you about feral children. I'm going to find someone who was raised by a cougar. That'd be really cool. I love big cats. I would love to be raised by like a lion, a cougar. <laughs> would you? Yeah. I feel like being a human has its perks, you know? I like being a human, but I, I think if, like I, if I had to choose an animal to be plumbing. raised by... But if I had to choose an animal um, to be raised by, okay. I would definitely choose a big cat. Oh, interesting. I would choose a big cat over a wolf or a coyote or something like that. Interesting. Okay. I feel like my first instinct was like, I'd want like an owl or something, but I don't want to fly. Yeah. 
also, I feel like that'd I'm be so scared too, of heights. Super impractical for the owl. Like you being <laughs> raised by an owl as a human does not mean you magically can fly. Oh, I wish. Alrighty, so that's what's coming at you next Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. This is, you know, what I've been wondering.